Good morning, Renewal. Welcome to week 52 of our stay-at-home Sunday morning podcast. Week 52 means we are officially one year into providing digital content for you as you are perhaps spending a Sunday morning social distancing at home with your family doing church in the comfort of your own living room. I am here uh, with Mike Murray and Tyler Higgins. And one year into this, guys, what are your what are your observations? Could you have imagined last March that we would be here today recording episode 52? Yeah, I think it's crazy to think that, you know, when we look back over the last year, um, you were thinking, oh, this will last for a, a couple of weeks or what was it, 14 days that we were going <laughs> to curb this thing? Uh, you know, and being a year into it seems a little daunting, but it's funny, you know, my wife and I watch TV now and and you th- even watch uh, episodes where people are eating out in public or they're they're not social distancing yeah. and already my brain is starting to become uh, preconditioned to say like, why aren't they wearing masks? What yeah. was happening? It's... Those people just hugged each other. Yeah. <laughs> They're not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> um, it, yeah. And it's odd to think of our community, even at renewal, having to stay home. Um, you know, some obviously being able to be there in person, but uh, to have people at home, it just kind of feels like contrary to this this thing that's innate in us, which is to be together and to be relational, um, which I think um, is kind of a bummer, you know, and, yeah. and it does kind of create a little bit of a lament in my heart because um, you long to be with people again and just to, to have it be normal, though you are grateful that you have you know, technology and things like this that we can still connect with people on some sort of spiritual level. Um, to keep our hearts sort of going in the same motion. But yeah, it is, it's a lot has changed. Yeah. I try to like think of like the good stuff because you have a lot of people that are always running around going, Oh, it was such a horrible year. And I think of like the things that the change in circumstances has pushed us to do, like even like this podcast, right? We've been doing it for a year. There's actually a lot of quality material out there for it. I mean, cause I was like working on my bathroom and I went back and listened to some old ones and I was like, Oh, these are good. This is good stuff. Um, and I think about the things that we learned about, like doing outdoor church and having table discussions at church, um, having the teens help out in children's church. That's something we hadn't really thought of. It just kind of happened. And then it's like become this awesome thing that the teens really enjoy doing. Um, and then I think even about the things I've learned about myself over the last year, because you always think like, well, what would life be like if I just had more time? And you'd paint this rosy picture and then you realize, well, it wasn't like that. But why was that? Is it because I'm not really unmotivated to do things and I've been just using not having time as an excuse? So um, just, you know, things I've learned about myself. And so, I mean, that's a lot of the stuff that I find exciting. Um but then I think we also got to think about the stuff, you know, over 500,000 people have died. That is a big deal. There's a lot of people that are missing loved ones. And I saw on Tyler's notes here, he talked about the polarization in America, right? Which we've kind of seen grow this last year, which is kind of like troubling, I think, for us. That kind of ties in a little bit to what we're talking about today. Um, we talk about the struggle that the pe- God's people were having in the book of Judges. Uh, they were the, we talk about the canonization of God's people uh, when they entered the promised land, how quickly they forgot about follow, following and worshiping Yahweh, and they began to worship and follow other gods from other nations around us. So we have to ask ourselves, right, who are we focusing and following today, right? And the answer should be that we are trusting in God for all things. 
And then we were talking just about like during the last political season and stuff like that. It's like, what were we putting our trust in at that time? Were we putting our trust in God through all that? Or were we like putting our trust in like the economy or political parties and saying, this is the thing that's going to save us. So I think as we look at that, we see like maybe the Israelites were doing the same thing. Were they putting their trust in Yahweh or they were saying, oh, there's these other gods. Maybe these are the things that are going to save us. Um, So today we're going to talk a little bit about God, the big G God, Yahweh, and other small G gods and the other spiritual forces that are at work in the world and be asking ourselves those questions about who are we following, who are we focusing on, and where are we putting our trust? I think one of the important things to keep in mind in Scripture is that the the authors of the Bible had an assumption about the world around them that we don't necessarily share today in these modern times. It, it was a worldview that put Yahweh, or you know, the God of Israel, as, as the one supreme God, uh, and yet they saw him as, as ruling over, uh, for lack of a better term, a pantheon of other gods, lowercase g for gods. And even in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament, the, the word for God is Elohim, and that word is used interchangeably for Yahweh, the supreme God, and these other lowercase gods. And kind of in the similar way that we would use the lowercase g to describe you know, what we might call false gods, and the capital G to denote God, the Yahweh, the God of, of Scripture. Um, you know, in, in modern English, when we conceptualize these other beings, I think we're far more comfortable using terms like false gods or demons, uh, because that creates what we feel is a helpful differentiation between Yahweh and whatever other beings are lurking out there in the realms that we can't see. Uh, but I think even those terms aren't especially helpful for us. One, because false gods implies that these beings are imaginary, that they're not real beings. And while they may not be the one true God, and so they're false gods in that sense, the Bible teaches that there's a host of uh, divine beings and that even the rebellion of humanity against Yahweh it isn't necessarily an original thought that occurred in Adam or Eve's mind, but it was it represented a snatching up or a catching up of humanity into this rebellion that had already been started by some of these other Elohims who had turned to evil at some point in the past, perhaps even before humanity came along. And so these false gods are not fake or imagined, but there are real beings that, that the worldview of Scripture seems to uh, point out for us. I, I think even the term demon... I mean, it can be helpful in the one sense because it, it kind of differentiates between these supernatural beings and and God and the and the Elohim who are on His side, as it were. But I think in some ways that term diminishes the power and influence that these evil Elohim have uh, to the point that for us as modern day Christians, they just become caricatures uh, rather than beings who actually have influence uh, that they wield all over the earth. Traditionally, in the worldview of Yahweh's people, these other Elohim have had real influence over nations and geopolitics, over regions, even over things like the elements of the earth, the fire, the wind, the water, the heart. Your powers combined, I am Captain Planet. Uh, They saw these beings as having power over weather. Um, Of course, in the 18th century and with the Enlightenment and kind of the advent of, of science, Uh, most of Western humanity began to 
uh, only use observable phenomenon to make sense of their world. And of course, this has led to incredible advances in science and, and in our standard of living. But, but because of this, I think in some ways we have forgotten the wisdom of the ages that would help us make sense of a world where questions are often asked nowadays. Well, if God is love, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? Why do we have sickness? Why do we have pain? Why do we have war? Why do we have natural disasters? If God is good and he's the divine being, why do these other things happen? As, as I think there's no room in many people's world view for other evil divine beings who might actually have meaningful influence on the world. Uh, scripture assures us that, that God is is overall, that he reigns supreme, and that he uses even the evil concocted by these evil Elohim to advance his own plans. Uh, but when we ask the question, why does evil happen? It's, I think it's because there are numerous divine beings who have incredible influence in our world, and they have departed from Yahweh's plan a long time ago, and they continue to mess things up ever since. Anyhow, we see these beings mentioned in Scripture uh, with other terms, too. Elohim is referring to them. Sons of God refers to them. Divine counsel is another term. And this concept of these other beings is scattered all throughout the Old Testament. And yet, because of our modern worldview, that concept is often hiding within verses that we've maybe even memorized, hiding within those verses in plain sight. Yeah, James, when I hear you talk about the other spiritual forces, the evil spiritual forces, I think some of the things that we we do is we try to tune that out, right? Because I think one, it's scary. It's just scary. You don't want to think about it, right? I don't want to think that there's evil forces in the world. And I don't, for me, I want to just believe the world's amazing. Everything's going great. And so let's just not talk about that, right? Let's just put it somewhere where we don't have to talk about it. Um, I think that's bad because like you were saying, then we're left with those questions of why, why are things happening that we don't understand instead of just acknowledging that evil is alive in the world and it's a force that out there that we're kind of wrestling with, we're battling with. Um, and I think that's the important thing we need to remember is that we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. Uh, Paul said, uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we need to remember that we're in that battle. But I think the good part about that is we're not helpless in that battle. We're not alone. Uh, back in Genesis, we see that even God gave us the commission to rule over the world. He gave us some authority and influence in the world. So we've been given power by God to participate in that battle. And he's also promised to help us. I think this is part of the thing we're talking about today and where we get tripped up. Like the people in Judges, we forget to look to God for our help. We start to look for other areas or we rely on ourselves to do the battle instead of going to God. So I think we need to acknowledge that there's spiritual forces of evil and even like cling even more to like Yahweh because of that, right? And we need to fix our eyes on him. We need to live as he has shown us. And I think the real benefit for that is that that's really where the sweet spot of life is anyway. Yeah, I think in that place you could say, and you could certainly argue with scripture, that, that when we are living in harmony with Yahweh, with capital G God, those other spiritual powers and principalities are, are subject to, to us and, and to the will of God being uh, acted out in our lives. And yet when we you know, live for ourselves, we as human beings who were created to rule and reign over the earth, we find ourselves subjugated to them and to their rebellion against God. Uh, there's a book that I read sometime in the last year 
actually, Joel Rambo recommended it to me, and and uh, the book is Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser, and it's it's really a scholarly exploration of this whole idea. But it it was a really really cool book, and and I'd recommend it for any of you who want to read more about it. Uh, anyhow. Uh, in the book, one of the points that the author makes is that the Tower of Babel is a story not just about the dividing of humanity linguistically, but it's also a story about the turning over of humanity to these other principalities and powers, these gods of their choice. And Deuteronomy 32 is, is a passage that's particularly helpful in giving us insight into that aspect of the story of the Tower of Babel. In Deuteronomy 32, chapter 7, it uh, the author writes, remember the days of old and consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain it to you. Verse 8, it says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance and when he divided all of mankind, a reference to the Tower of Babel, says he set up the boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Sons of God there being a term that's referring to this divine council of Elohim, these other beings. And the point of this verse, is it's saying that at the dividing of humanity, at the Tower of Babel, the Most High set up the boundaries. He divided the nations according to the number of these other beings and according to the number of these Elohim who are part of his divine counsel. And these, these beings with whom God had shared authority with uh, end up, uh, humanity ends up being turned over to them. Um, and, and there's some interesting things happening there in verse 8. In fact, if you read it in your own Bible, uh, you might see something other than the sons of God there. And so uh, if you've got questions about that, uh, I would love to hang out and talk about the interpretation of that passage. But anyhow, uh, the, these other nations are, are turned over, dispossessed to, uh, to these other sons of God. And yet in verse 9, it says, "'For the Lord's portion is his people.'" And Jacob is his allotted inheritance. And essentially what that's saying is that as Yahweh dispossessed all the nations, he, he handed them over, to use the language of Paul from Romans, to the rebellious Elohim whose agenda, their own act in building the Tower of Babel was serving. But as God did that, he did something else with his people. Sort of the more disappointing side to free will, isn't it? You know, yeah. because when you're faced with um, this really amazing concept that God doesn't force us to worship him, uh, you're also left with the alternative also, which is when we're not forced to worship God, then there does come moments where God has to turn us over to our own desires. But the, the part of this story that we embrace as Christians is that in this moment that people are making their own choices to serve their own gods and to ultimately turn their eyes away from their their creator, whether they understood that or not, um, we see a people born out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this people of Israel, that God would reach back into humanity, and he would want to repossess the nations to himself through a people group that would not have um, dispossessed him, right? So uh, though this remnant he promised... Um, a Messiah, and through his Messiah, his plan is to reconcile all of humanity back to himself, to claim them back. And this ultimately is a special mission by God uh, through the nation of Israel to be part of that reconciliation of all humanity. So one can see the importance of them entering this land, staying true to God and the God that created them. How will they serve as 
agents for reconciliation to God if they cannot be true to God themselves, though? That's going to be the, the question that kind of remains throughout most of the Old Testament. Yeah, and that's the real tragedy of the book of Judges is that God's people find themselves living in this land, and rather than stay true to Yahweh and be a light for reconciliation, they begin to worship these other Elohim who had possessed the ancestors of, of the Canaanites at, at, at Babel. Uh, one of those gods in Canaan was the god Baal, and he was understood as a god of storms and rain and fertility. Is probably tied to the Sumerian god Hadad. But his name actually meant Lord or ruler, and he was worshipped in Canaan as a supreme god over these other gods. And, and in that, you can see a natural competition between this god Baal and Yahweh, who the, the Hebrews are suggesting is the supreme god. And, and then you can also see, I mean, here's a god of storms and rain. You can see how in an agrarian-based society like Israel, there would be some temptation to put their trust in him. Maybe a harvest didn't turn out quite like I thought it would, and instead of sacrificing to Yahweh, the next go around, the next season as I plant, I'm tempted to make some sacrifices to Baal just to kind of hedge my bets. Another Canaanite god was Ashtoreth. Uh, this was a goddess deity. Uh, in some cases, it was a generic term used for many goddesses. Uh, she was known as a fertility goddess or had more of a focus on the sexual love side of things. Uh, she's considered to have had kind of an alter ego or maybe it was a sister who was a goddess of war uh, there's some horses and hunting themes in there. Uh, you know, we've got war, we've got sex. There's a lot of passion in this goddess. And, and I think it's understood, well, you know, what nation wouldn't want a god to bless them when they go to war, when they go out hunting, or bless them with, you know, sexual conquest? Uh, you, can, you can see, and if you can't understand it, maybe your mother can explain it to you, but you can see how these gods would have appeal to uh, people who are trying to establish themselves as a nation and be successful in these different ventures. And then there was this other god whose name comes up a fair amount, and this was a god, Moloch. And uh, this god in Canaan was one who was worshipped through child sacrifice. And even digging into Moloch, I'm not really sure what he was supposed to be offering to the people who would sacrifice their kids. There doesn't seem to be a lot of clarity on that. And, you know, and I couldn't imagine why anyone would sacrifice their children. But um, anyhow, it, it, it's confusing. And this was a God that, uh, that these were all gods that Yahweh specifically warned his people against. And, uh, and yet these are all gods that we have record of God's people specifically turning to in worship. So I think today in, in America, we don't worship Moloch or, or Baal or Ashtoreth, certainly not by the names that they had, but I do think that, that there are evil Elohim who have an influence over us today, that there are cultural lowercase g gods or, or cultural idols that we might be tempted to, to trust in or to strive toward. It probably looks different than um, us bowing down to sort of a, a statue or uh, a graven image, but it probably doesn't look all that different from uh, times past where if we prayed to God for sunshine and the sunshine doesn't come, then we go and find a God of sunshine. Um, and that can be really similar to in our own lives when we don't see God do something as fast as we might want him to. I mean, even take the concept of where does my wealth come from? Where does my health care 
come from or, you know, perhaps my, even my stimulus package. <laughs> you know, the idea that if if I can't make this work by believing and trusting that God has my family in his hands, then where do I have to turn to? I have to turn to my government or I have to turn to my political ideas in order to see those things come to fruition. Or I have to, you know, do things in my life to, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and make it happen so that my family is taken care of. We do these types of things in our, our own lives here today the same way that they would have back then. When we don't see God come through, we make a way ourselves. Yeah, for me, I'm sitting there thinking about, you know, not necessarily labeling things as idols, but what are the things that I put my trust in? And what are the things that we put our trust in in America? And I think about like the economy, right? We want to have a good, strong economy because then everything's going to be okay, is what we think. But it, again, it's I don't know if that's true, but that's something we trust in. Um, and insurances and stuff like that, which we probably should all buy insurance, but how much trust do you put into that? And I think a big thing for me, actually, there's two kind of things that I kind of struggle with. One is like, I think what Tyler is saying, putting your trust in yourself, that if there's like a problem to be done, it's like, do I first go to God and talk to God about it? Or do I just say, oh, that's in Mike's wheelhouse. Mike's going to go take care of that. Where it's like, I probably should be doing the pray to God first, right? Um, and then I had a friend who called me, hadn't talked to him probably 15 years or so. And he's like, what are you up to these days? And I was like, you know, kind of thought about it for a second. It's like, well, you know, what we're all doing this day that you start entering my stage of life, we're planning for retirement. And it's like my whole life is like what I'm doing right now is planning for retirement. So I'm like taking my stuff and putting it in my storehouses, which I'm like kind of like something's biblically wrong with this. But I'm like trying to plan out how I can live well in the last years of my life. And it's like there's part of me that just hates that. It just really does. It's just like, this is, I don't feel how I should be living, but it's like part of what's expected by America. It's probably also wise to some degree, but how do you find a balance in that? And like, is God involved in that as well? Or is this just something I'm doing because society says this is what you're supposed to do? Well, I think what you started off with, Mike, is kind of the key. If our first response is to go to the God that created us and to seek his heart, I believe that that's what God wants of us. I mean, that's the relational aspect of what it means to be a follower of, of Christ, what it means to be a follower of Yahweh, is that our first response in every situation would be, God, what are you doing in this situation? What is your heart? What are you speaking to me? What are you wanting me to do with my, my wealth, with my, with my home, with my family, with my time and my resources? How are you wanting to use me on this planet to reconcile humanity to yourself. But the struggle that we get into, I think, and where sin kind of creeps in, is when we stop trusting that God is a part of that conversation. You know, I believe that God, if, if we truly acknowledged him, would give us wisdom in those moments, but we, I think it's easier sometimes to, to not acknowledge him at all, but yeah. just tr trust in ourselves that we've got it handled. Yeah. Yeah, I think a great illustration of that concept, Tyler, is... You know, in Cowlitz County, we see property values at unprecedented levels. And I have conversations with people who see this as an opportunity for a cash grab. And they're, they're just putting the house up for sale because it's time to grab some cash and time to get ahead. And then I have conversations with other friends who see it as a faith venture, 
to where the circumstances of the market being what it is has led them to maybe make some cho- choices and, and changes in their life that that represent destabilizing. I mean, even if you make a lot of money for selling your home, it's still a risk to sell your home and not know what's next. And and so the difference is not necessarily in what people are doing, but in who their hope is as they do it and who, where the motivation comes from, where this is something we feel the Lord encouraging us to go for versus this is something everything points to, you know, will be profitable for me. And And I think sometimes we wrestle because it's it's a relationship that God is looking for with his people, which is something that's deeply personal and deeply uh, subjective to our own personal experiences. And so it, it can be difficult for us. You know, with the Lord, there were certain things that God said, don't ever do. Don't ever sacrifice your children to me like the people who are worshiping Moloch. Don't worship me with the Asherah poles and you know, these certain practices that were detestable to him. But then there's other things like praying while you're scattering seed in your field. You know, on the outside, it might look like the same thing no matter which God you're praying to, but it's on the inside and the motivations of the heart that the difference really becomes apparent. And and in some ways, only God can motiv- can weigh those kinds of motivations. Yeah, and the big question to me is like, where do we win in all of that? Do we win if we scatter seed and our field grows bigger than everybody else's? Or do we win because we included God in that moment? As you say that, I'm reminded of the words of King David in the psalm where he says that it, it would be better to spend one day in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere, that he would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than you know anything else. And these are words spoken by the king of Israel at the time who had, you know, in many ways, at least in his society, he's top dog. You know, if he wants something, he can, he can have it. And yet his relationship with God showed him that there was something better to be had than anything that the world has to offer. And, and I think in many ways, that's what the difference is between idolatry and worshiping the true God. Those who would worship the true God in spirit and in truth look to him and see that he is better than anything the world has to offer. And those who are falling into idolatry are those who are deceived, maybe just momentarily deceived, but deceived in some way that something that has been created is better than the creator who made it. We'll just let you sit with that thought as Mike sends us away with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for being a good God, a God of like generosity and blessings and love. And uh, we just ask that you would grab our focus, that this message, then the people that hear it wouldn't just say, oh, that was another great message, but they would they would just take time to check where their focus is um, and that you would just remind them to be focused on you. They would, you would just grab their focus, that they would seek your face and um, all that they do and that their lives would be changed through this. In your name we pray. Amen.